Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Peak Planning and my friend Jeff Martin there. They build high-performing teams for venture-backed growth companies and venture capital firms. They offer a facilitated leadership team session with tools that create focus, alignment, and accountability. And Jeff is great at getting your team on board with a three-year vision, a one-year plan, quarterly OKRs, and tools to stay on track along the way. I have several friends who've used peak planning very successfully. So if you want to learn more, feel free to message me and I can introduce you to Jeff over at Peak Planning. I'm super excited to have Rajiv Kapoor with me on the show today. Before we get to hear from him, let me tell you a little bit more about Rajiv. He's currently the president and CEO of 1105 Media, which is a company that focuses on events and training. Before COVID, his company was a go-to business for in-person education and training events. In fact, they did more than 70 events back in 2019, if you can remember back that far. But once COVID hit, literally all of his in-person events disappeared overnight. And we're going to talk a fair bit about that today. Rajiv moved quickly to virtualize his business. He navigated some audience and pricing challenges for several emerging virtual events. And 1105 proceeded to thrive over the last year with an increase in activity of over 20%, gross margins that increased significantly, and ultimately he had the second best year in his company's history. Rajiv, it's great to have you here on the Operate Podcast today. Thanks, Kerry, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I gave a brief intro to your company, but I'd love to hear it in your words. Walk me through maybe an example of one of the signature clients and events that you typically would have before COVID, and then maybe juxtapose that with one of the best ones that you've had over the last year. Yeah, no, happy to. <clears throat> and so if, if you think about 1105, if anybody goes to the website, you'll see that we are essentially a B2B media and marketing company, mm-hmm. right? And how we do that is we do, we have three buckets of revenue that we do that in. First one was absolutely events, education and training conferences. You know, uh, our biggest events were through our TDWI business, which, which stands for Transforming Data with Intelligence, our Converge 360 business, which um, focused on doing a lot of training in the Microsoft stack, primarily around the Visual Studio suite of products. And then we know we had we had some vertically focused events in the government space that did really well last year that were very easy to translate from face-to-face to to digital. We can talk about that in a moment as well. So that's kind of one avenue of the overall business. And that's the the side of the business, as you mentioned, got hit really hard. We lost all of our face-to-face events. So in some respect, we're no different than, you know, you couldn't go to a Laker game, you couldn't do anything, right? We were the same way, right? Uh, The second bucket is that we actually had a fairly significant digital business as well, you know, through whether it was doing Legion activities for people, doing webinars, webcasts, you know, banner advertising marketing, you know, we, we are one of the larger email marketing uh, providers out there for, for brands. So we did that also. And that business did extremely well in the, in, in, in the, in the COVID uh, impacted downturn. And then the third bucket, um, and when I started at the company a little over six years ago, was about a third of the business, now it's down to about 5%, was we still have a very, very small print component. 
But the thing we did there was that we that we, we we drastically improved the gross margins on that print business. So we're actually making really good money on print. And I think we're one of the very few companies I can say that we're making really good money in print. So, mm -hmm. so, so that's kind of the overall structure. Now, in terms of answering the question, well, let's start with look at let's look at TDWI, right? So TDWI was in in some respects um, what is the largest education and training provider in the digital in the analytics data science space. Okay. So when you think about business intelligence, analytics, becoming a data scientist, and if you know, and if you are somebody who's in an organization and you wanted to learn how to you know, implement tools, get the latest trainings, whatever the case may be, you'd come to a TDWI event. We had four of those what we called world conferences. About 15% of our attendees came from outside the U.S. That obviously dropped to zero, um, along with everything else. And so. You know, we would do them in Vegas, San Diego, Chicago, Orlando, and, you know, in, in kind of more like tier one, more event type cities. And we, we would have anywhere from 400 to 500 people attend an event. Now, attending one of our events, it's not like a trade show. It's not like going to CES where you go to a CES and it's a hundred bucks or it's free in some cases. And it's a very, you know, trade show booth sponsor driven model. This is purely a, our business model was a purely an attendee driven model, right? Mm -hmm. so, it, so it's a five day conference for training and education. People paid a couple thousand dollars, plus they invested their, their T&E budgets, whatever, to come out to one of our events. And we did pretty well, right? And the beauty of that business model, right? You get paid up front and you're paying your vendors and everybody else, you know, either at the time of the event or after the event. So it's, it's a great business model. It's a great cash flow model, et cetera, things like that. So that's what disappeared. So you know, we had to take that online. We did, we, you know, we, we did, instead of doing these four, you know, regional type world conferences, we ended up doing more virtual summit type things. But, you know, the challenge there is that you can't, you know, you can't charge people the same amount of money. In fact, you mm -hmm. can't really charge them anything, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. You know, no one really wants to pay and no, you know, people are Zoom tired and, you know, you know, so, what we found early on was that this was going to be more of a sponsor model for us, as long as we can deliver the audience. And at the end of the day, content is still king, no matter what you do. And one of the things I told my team is like, guys, look, you know, we all familiar with the four P's, right? You know, I know you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so it's in my view, in my world, I talk about the four C's a lot. And, and you know, and in the, in the media digital event world, it's all about content creates a community you know, uh, you know, that community creates commerce and that commerce creates cash. Mm. And so it's really focused on those, those four things. So when COVID hit, we really repivoted to really focusing on really delivering the best content we could and then focusing on how we got that content out to different types of people. So, and that's what we focused on. Very interesting. So you have on your website, as I'm looking at it, it talks about account-based marketing, which has been a trend somewhat in B2B over the last several years. And, you know, you just were talking about sort of content to commerce and community. And, you know, I'm guessing part of this analysis had to be looking at the broader community. Who are all the people that are coming to these conferences? Who are all the people that are sort of selling around those? And, as you said, you, you went from attendee to, to sponsor. What, what what did that end up changing from a services mix? Like, were, were that your did your customers change from these individuals to brands and companies? Were these people you already doing business with? I mean, where where did where where does account based marketing kind of fit into all of this? Were you, so you I, using it? Were you showing people how to do it? I mean, it, it's yeah. a, it's such an interesting topic. Yeah, I, I think for us, 
you know, we were always, you know, could be, when, when you're a content creator, you're always doing some level of ABM, mm -hmm. right? So I think you and I were talking a little bit before we started. I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with, with, with account-based marketing. I'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of our overall business, the, the thing that's great for us is that we own the content, mm -hmm. right? And if I look at my government business, for example, my government business uh, took a little bit of a hit back when obviously when COVID first hit. In fact, all, all, our, all of our businesses today. And from that kind of mid-March through end of April, we were, you know, it was, it was somewhat of a challenge. You know, we were never we were never in danger. I mean, we had to make the changes we had to make. We did the pay cuts, we did furloughs, we did layoffs, we did all the things that anybody, everybody needed, has done and ever needed to do. And we did those things, but I give all the credit to my team and they pivoted and they did an amazing job. Let's take a look at my government business, for example. My government business, not only did they hit their original budget for the year, they mm -hmm. blew through it. I mm -hmm. mean, they crushed it. And their events business, they, they, they beat their events, their, they beat their original event business goal or their budget by over 20%. Hmm. And it was all virtual and it was all sponsor based. So we were able to convert 99.9% .9 of all, we only had one customer who didn't convert in, 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 from, from, to sponsor an event, but everybody else converted. I mean, that, that's an amazing you know, hit, hit ratio, right? Now, in terms of ABM, a ABM to me, I think is a great marketing vehicle. Mm -hmm. ABM to me works, A, if you own the content and B, if you're in, in an organization that's patient. Mm -hmm. The challenge with ABM is that it's not instant gratification. Yes. And CMOs, chief revenue officers, CEOs of publicly traded companies, you know, you know, they have very short windows. Comp plans may not be aligned. They need to deliver leads, they need to deliver sales, they have to deliver positive results to, to Wall Street, whatever the case might be. And that and that, that can make ABM tough, if that's the case. Now, the best organizations are the ones who found ba find balance between mm -hmm. that. They have teams mm -hmm. of people who are focusing on instant gratification, and then they have the teams working to develop audiences, and that's fine. But you have to be in a really patient organization to do that. You have to have a real patient boss, you know, who really helps you understand, who, who is really supportive of those activities because it's hard to go to somebody and say, listen, we're gonna go invest, pick a number, $20,000 on doing an ABM activity, a campaign. Okay, great, what's the ROI on that? Well, the ROI on that may not be for 12 to 18 months. Sure. That's a really hard pill to swallow, especially right now with COVID, right? Where, where you need to go try to, you know, where you're out there scraping and fighting every which way you can. But if, if, at the end of the day, if you have the patience and you're, you've got the right balance, you'll be successful at it. So do you think the organizations who really embrace ABM successfully are also typically your more innovative organizations? Because innovation is also somewhat of a patience game. You have to be a little bit comfortable with experimentation, with some uncertainty, with a little bit more tolerance for failure even. Yeah, I think you know, innovation is a good word. I think another good word is flexible. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, I think the organizations that are really innovative, flexible, you know, who really focus on 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 that, who have that culture in place. Right. I mean, you know, you have to have, especially right now during COVID, if you've got a culture where making a mistake is OK, you're going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. you, you have to encourage it. You have to encourage your people right now to try new things. And some of it's going to work and some of it isn't. And if mm -hmm. you're in a culture where you where you can't make a mistake and if you do, you're fired, then it's just not going to work, period. You know, so. So innovation, yeah, absolutely. But I would, I'd argue that maybe flexibility is is probably the 
is the, probably the most important trait right now, given COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about that, right? As you think ahead now, world's coming back a little bit. People are starting to travel a little more, maybe get back to scheduling events, but it's still a little bit uncertain how you know how are T and E budgets going to look and as you think about your own business, how confident are you in the things that you believe are going to be more permanent versus temporary with regard to how events will be produced, delivered, et cetera? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So in the intro, you mentioned that we had our second best year ever last year and we did, it was great, it was fantastic. Not only did we have our second best, you know, EBITDA year, we actually had our, probably our best free cash flow creation year. Which was which is crazy, mm-hmm. given everything that was going on. Uh, but now going into this year, here's here's what's really interesting, Carrie. So, 1105 is a holding company, and I'm a CEO of the holding company, and we have an operating company that handles all the different business units. Mm-hmm. So there are five companies that make up 1105, and that's by the way not how the company got its name. It's a whole different story mm-hmm. how the company got its name. But there are five individual PNL, five individual companies that are run by different business unit presidents that that make up the overall 1105 arching umbrella that reports into me. We, and in the six, in the 15 or so years that the company got created, uh, I've been now involved, I'm going on six and a half, almost seven years as, as the president and CEO. N- none of the five have, have ever been on track at the same time to hit their numbers, mm-hmm. right? Three of them make their numbers, two of them miss, four of them make, one of them miss, sure. one of them makes it, four of them miss. It just, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because they all serve different markets. They all serve different, you know, customer bases. You know, we have an infrastructure business, we have a federal government IT enterprise business, we have an education K-12 higher ed business, we have an analytics business, we have a Microsoft, a Microsoft cloud stack focused business. So everybody's a little bit different, right? But this year, right now, knock on wood, for the first six, you know, uh, through, through April and through our funnel views through, through the end of Q2, every single business unit is hitting its numbers. Mm, amazing. It's, it's, hitting, it's, it's hitting its budget numbers and they're not just hitting it, they're beating it. And so that's exciting. So where does that mean for the future? Well, obviously the biggest the thing for future is what's gonna to happen to events. And, and I have an opinion on that. I don't think you're gonna see any major face-to-face events this year. And for, for, for a couple of things, mm. number one is, it's not that because people are not getting vaccinated. I think a lot of people are getting vaccinated. Sure. And I think that, I, I think, um, more and more recently, and I know that the president came out yesterday, I think it was yesterday and said, you know, the vaccine is now available for everybody. So I think that's great. And so I think people will be vaccinated by the time the end of summer rolls around or those that want to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great. I think it's the issue is going to be exactly what you said, right? T&E budgets are non-existent right now, right? So you know, we, we have surveyed our customer base. We, we, we serve, we, we, we've surveyed them now twice, you know, this year already. And 70% of them don't want to go to a face-to-face event. And, and, and these, by the way, are, are kind of director level and above type people. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go to an event. Um, they definitely don't don't want to go to an event in Florida or Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And is that uh, they this, don't it, want to go, or their company doesn't want no, to pay for them to go? It's it's so it's a com- so so they themselves don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And then a big then 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 the other question is, well, your company pay, and right now the mm-hmm. company's not paying because they don't have any T and E budget, right? Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean they don't value training? Does that mean they don't value education? Does that mean that companies like Eleven O Five will never re- you know re- recover that? No, I don't think that's the case. I, I think what you're going to see here is, is uh, I think you're going to start to see events start to trickle back in, in Q2 of next year uh, is when I, when I think you're going to start to see it coming back. Now, will it come back to the same levels of 2019? No. In fact, in our planning that we've done in my kind of three, four-year planning, 
know, we think events, uh, 2022 events are gonna come back to about 20% of 2019 levels, the 20%, 40%, 60 to 75% per following year. I don't think we're ever gonna go back to the 2019 levels of events, uh, which is, you know, fine. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's just all about managing your, your COGS on that stuff, the hotel contracts and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that, you know, if, if you're gonna spend $400 for a giant pot of coffee, that it's being used wisely mm-hmm. type of things. But yeah, I, I, I think the hybrid world is here to stay. You know, I, I think what you're gonna see from us is I think, you know, we're doing education and training. So it's really hard to kind of just say, you know, hybrid the whole thing for five days. No one's gonna sit in front of a mm-hmm. computer for, for from mm-hmm. eight to five for five days. But you know, we, we would hybrid and, 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 you know, stream, you know, certain portions, you know, your keynotes, things like that. Maybe there might be certain classes that might be worth training, uh, sorry, streaming that people might want to sign up for. So I think there'll be some sort of hybrid model. At the end of the day, I think the face-to-face model will eventually come back. Uh, it's just, I, I, I think the biggest challenge is going to be the budgets for it, number one. But I, I, at the end of the day, there's no, there's no better way for people to network than face-to-face and yeah whether it's a fist bump or, or as Larry David said, a bow or whatever the case might be, at some point you're gonna to wanna to meet people face-to-face and, and build that camaraderie again and, and meet those vendors. And, and so I think it'll come back. It's just gonna take a little bit longer than I think people think. Sure. Yeah, and by the way, it's not like, yeah. So I was just gonna say, it's not like going being able, like if the Lakers all of a sudden open up tomorrow, is that, hey, all 20,000 people come back to Staples, I bet you they can fill it up. That's a hundred, but that's a hundred bucks a ticket and you're driving, you know, 20 or 30 miles versus flying thousands of miles and mm-hmm. spending $2,000, right? It's different. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different, but it's interesting because you think about that example is you have a huge number of people that will watch a sporting event through the t- broadcast TV has become huge. And in some cases people have said, Hey, you know, it's not worth me going to a game, the cost, the inconvenience, whatever, if I have a 80 inch TV in my TV room and the experience is, is great, but it'll be really com- interesting to see how events like professional events have to get produced potentially differently to address that. So that's really interesting, Rajiv. Uh, when you think about the example, like a sporting event where you have a, a good number of people that are really excited to go and be in person. You also have a, increasingly a much larger audience that will watch from the comfort of their home or somewhere else on, on broadcast TV. So that could even be a corollary for hybrid type events, but may cause a lot of creativity to happen in experimenting. What is it like for a hybrid event? Because to your point, in a professional setting, I probably don't want to sit and watch something on a computer or TV uh, for hours, you know, eight hours a day, like you might be willing to do in in-person events. So how, how are you thinking about those hybrid scenarios? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, so we have, uh, we do a lot of, uh, so our events are broken up really into two different categories, right? And if our face-to-face events are, mm-hmm. they're broken up into the world conferences, which you get 400 to 500 people. We have one event in uh, the October, November timeframe that happens in Orlando that gets about 1,200, 1,300 people. I think so those events, uh, I don't see anything coming back this year. I think those mm-hmm. events will probably more be in next year and they may not be at the same levels as they were in 2019. Uh, 
you know, a lot, a lot, like I said earlier, I think you're going to see the face-to-face events. I think it's going to take two or three years for face-to-face events to start even coming back close to 2019 levels. Mm-hmm. It's not that people don't want to come out. I think it's still the best way to network and build relationships and do whatever you need to do face-to-face and, you know, learn about the different vendors and the products out there and you know, those kinds of things. But I, I think uh, the T&E budgets are going to be still impacted and as people's balance sheets start to clean, get, get cleaned up over the course of the next year or so. Uh, in terms of the the question directly for us, you know, our more localized events, the events that can happen locally, the events where the ticket price to attend is anywhere from fifty to hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you know, the, those type of events. So the, those are our little conference and summit type models. I think those events are going to be fine. Those are the ones where you know you go to a you can walk into a hotel and says, hey, you know, you walk into a room and there might be 50 people there kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I think the beauty of those events is that we'll also be able to then stream those events also. So, mm-hmm. you know, so, so those, so I think, and those are typically an hour or two hours long. I think the back end is maybe four hours. Like our government business, um, I, you know, where, you know, they do a lot of uh, executive roundtable type of events where you have maybe 15 or 20 people sitting around a table just talking and mingling, you know, uh, online on Zoom. But even before before Zoom hit, those people would do that online. So I think you're going to see a mixture of folks who are going to going to have that, want that exclusivity and are going to be happy with that. Uh, but then you're going to have some folks who don't mind, who don't mind the kind of streaming of that event. So I think the more localized type of event, you're going to see a lot more streaming, especially mm-hmm. ones where, you're, where you don't have huge, where you don't have a huge ticket, you know, to attend. The more larger world conference type of events, where it's anywhere from fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars to attend, I think those are the ones you're going to see come back last. It's not that they won't come back; I just think they're going to be slower to come back. I mean, look, let's be honest; they were the first ones to go, and they're going to be the last ones to come back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That it, the, the real question, I think, for a lot of people, you, you, you're mentioning, you know, there's nothing that really beats face to face from a relationship building standpoint. The other area that I tend to think about is this this idea of serendipity, where you just you run into somebody somewhat strategically because you're in the same watering hole, you're in the same conference. Probably topically, it makes sense. But how do we, as humans, that so much of life is, is just, you know, you meet the right person that, that how, how do you think about that as somebody who really is a catalyst for so much of that? Yeah. I mean, look, I think we all, I think you have stories. I have stories. I mean, look, I think you and I were even talking before this. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that we run into each other at Octane events or whatever the case might be. Right. So, you know, it's, I mean, how much can you really build a relationship over LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Right. You just, it's very hard, you know, and there's a lot of noise out there now. And so, you know, to me, I think, you know, that power of that face-to-face is going to have to come back. And, the, you know, and I think, I think the good news is that, you know, we've learned how to, we, we, we know how to do the face-to-face and we know how to do the digital now. And it's really about building that hybrid best of both worlds. And, you know, at the end of the day, here's the, you know, the beauty of this is that, hey, if, if you're an analytics person and you're sitting Spain and you can't come to the U.S. Well, great. We'll stream the event, mm-hmm. you know. And you know wh- whether you need to buy a sponsor product, um, you know, whatever the case might be, our sponsors are going to be happy because you know we're, we're extending their reach. You know, we're, we're creating their, you know, we're effectively helping them do some ABM without sure. without doing ABM, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's really kind of the the, the way to go. And, and that may be the answer. Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be the hybrid model. The hybrid model is going to be the the wave of the future. And 
you know, I think initially it's going to be one of those things where it might be, you know, like I said, 20% face-to-face and 80%, you know, streaming online digital, right? But over time, that's going to balance out to probably 60, 40, 70, 30 the other way at some point, mm-hmm. you know, I think hopefully, um, hopefully the vaccines continue to work and, you know, in those, in those kinds of situations. And so, you know, but at the end of the day, the hospitality industry, the hotel industry also has to be willing to play ball and be flexible and understand that, hey, it's, it's not us. So, so, you know, don't shoot the messenger, it's just the customer habits are changing, right? right? And so, so they have to be flexible as well. So let's, let's change gears a little bit. I'm sure, I mean, like a lot of us, I'm sure you had a few moments a year ago where you were probably questioning, you know, certainly, you know, amongst multiple business units, their survivability of, of some of them. So just personally, as you, as you're sharing with others that, how did you deal with things like the stress and, and emotion around all that uncertainty? Uh, great question. So look, I, I, I was not going to let the company fail, period. Mm-hmm. It was not going to happen. It just, it wasn't going to happen. If a failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing for us is, you know, I, I had the luxury, I don't know luxury, but you know, I, I had the opportunity back early in my career to work for Dell and you know, I was asked to go to China in 2000 and from 2000 to 2002, we were in China and 2002 to 2004, late late 2004, we were in Singapore. And the reason why I bring that up is because when COVID started to hit, we we saw two things were happening. Number one, as our international attendee registrations dropped, was dropping from, for our February and March events was Mm -hmm. dropping from 15% attendees to down to 1% attendees. So we saw it kind of early on in our metrics, right? So the whole idea, if you, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, you know, you can't manage it. And this shows mm-hmm. you why KPIs and all these things become so important. So we saw it back in January, something was going on. Uh, so I picked up the phone and I called my old team in China and I talked to my team in Singapore and said, guys, what's going on out there? And, you know, they, they said, look, it's bad, mm-hmm. you know, and eventually it's going to hit the U.S. as well. So I remember picking up the phone and calling and speaking to a couple of my business unit leaders, the business units where we had the biggest face-to-face events where we're structured out of. And I remember telling them, guys, we start taking action now. You know, you need to start talking to the hotels now, delaying things, whatever the case might be. We could probably get the February, March events in, but beyond that, I don't know if we're going to be able to get anything in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I started telling the team, uh, look, we're going to have to start thinking about layoffs and furloughs and, and other more, more drastic action. And this was kind of right before it exploded in mid-March, right? Mm-hmm. So this was these were the conversations that were happening kind of early to mid-February that I was having. And I was not a very popular guy. Sure. I was not. I mean, my, my leadership team, I absolutely adore. They're the best, I think, in the world. And I just awesome. For the first time, I think they were questioning my sanity. Um, because they were hearing different things on the news, of course. And so, mm-hmm. so I said, no, we're going to stick with it. So we did. And um, we started taking some action, you know, much to their chagrin. But then sure enough, you know, middle of March came and they're like, oh, this is real. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we had one person who was really challenged with it. And, uh, and, and, and they had about a 24-hour pity party. And then they came back the next morning and they said, all right, no, we're, we, we got this. We're going to go figure it out. And they did. They figured it out. And even though their business unit lost a big chunk of their revenue, 
they crushed their digital numbers. I mean, they grew the digital business by 40%. Well, mm -hmm. the beauty of that is that their gross margins on an event are around 50 to 55%, but the gross margins on digital is really high, a yes. lot higher than that, mm -hmm. right? So, 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 you know, they, they actually, so from a, from a pure cash flow perspective, you know, they, they were just fine. So, and the whole team did that, the whole team rallied, uh, you know, so we, we did what we had to do and no, no one complained. The entire team got it. Um, we, we, you know, we had maybe just, we had a couple people leave us, you know, not, you know, we had a couple of people say, look, I'm just going to go back to school and do some other things. But our voluntary attrition, for example, over the last now going on 18 months, is like 2%, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, that's, that's something that I think be proud of for this team. And, and, uh, you know, we, um, we were able to restore the pay cuts, you know, uh, back in Q4 of last year, we, we brought back some furloughed people. We saw some people on furlough, people that, manage the day-to-day, -day, who would manage the face-to-face -face events, you know, they're, they're still on furlough. Uh, but, you know, one of the things we did carry, it was, and it shows you the power of, of relationships and the power of being transparent and being open with people is we went to every single one of our vendors, didn't, didn't matter who it was. We got a full list of all the invoices. We got, went to every single vendor and we said, guys, we need you to come down 10 to 20% or you're not gonna be able to work with us in the future. Mm -hmm. Or we're gonna find somebody new whenever the contract expires. Carry every single vendor did something for us except for one. Hmm. Everyone. Now, some of them, the big guys, you know, like Amazon Web Services, you know, they can do much, but everybody, even the phone providers, you know, the you know, they they all they all did something. So some of them said, all right, we're going to give you 120 day terms or whatever mm -hmm. the case might be, or we'll give you a discount if you prepay a little bit early, et cetera. You know, pretty significant discount. So it shows you the power of being of just asking for help and, and telling people and being transparent with them. And we told them, guys, we lost. 45% of our revenue. We lost 45% of our business overnight and we need some help and everybody came through and that was fantastic. And that's amazing. But that, and, and that's what allowed us to have, yeah, it wasn't the best revenue year, obviously, because we lost the revenue, but it was the second best profitability year we've had in you know, seven, eight years. So yeah. it was fantastic. Amazing. So walk me through, you kind of spoke to it a little bit, but walk me through kind of your process for prioritizing and decision-making where you, you're taking in some of this information from overseas, as an example, how, how are you going through a process to, to really set up, okay, these are the decisions we have to make popular or not. This is sort of the priority. Yeah. Walk me through a little bit of that. Yeah. I, th I think the first thing for me is, uh, you know, obviously EBITDA is really important, right? But to me, I think the most important metric that business should have is free cash flow. So I look at everything kind of from a free cash flow lens uh, in terms of that. So that's always the priority, right? Though number one, you know, whether it's number one or number two, rule in business is never run out of cash kind of a mm -hmm. thing, right? So to me, it's the, the, in my mind, it's like, okay, how's this impacting our free cash? So that, that's one of the first things I look at. You know, the second thing I really look at the mental aspect of the decisions I'm making, right? So the mental wellness of my team is really another, is a close mm -hmm. second, believe it or not, really focus on that. But look, at the end of the day, you know, the challenge for me as a CEO of 1105 is that it's not one company, it's five, mm -hmm. right? And so each one of the business units has, each business unit has their own KPIs, OKR, whatever you want to call it, that, that they look at, that they manage against. Each one has their own funnels. Each one has their own customer base. Each one has their own set of challenges. So I don't prioritize overarching 1105, I prioritize for that each individual business. So when I'm speaking to that business unit leader, the business unit president, as far as I'm concerned, he or she and I, that's the only business that we're concerned about, right? So we make decisions that prioritize the needs for that business as opposed to the overarching 
business. Now, there may be some foundational things like, okay, guys, listen, COVID's there, so we got to do layoffs and everybody's got to do it. I don't care how well your business is doing, you've got to find ways to cut costs and expenses, whatever the case might be. I think an example of that is when I first joined the company, we had almost 200,000 200, square feet of office space. And now we're down to about 60, 70,000 square feet of office space. Mm-hmm. And you know, before COVID, 35% of my employees work from home already. And I think once the pandemic is kind of eased and passed, but to some level, I think that number is going to jump and we'll have offices, but we won't need as many, you know, right now I'm in Irvine, my Irvine headquarters, and we've got about 5,000 square feet here, but we probably really only need a couple thousand, you know, two or 3,000 mm-hmm. square feet because there's that. So it really just depends. So there's some overarching decisions, you know, that get made and prioritized based on the overall kind of free cash flow and then even the kind of metrics that we have. But then also we really, we really kind of try to make decisions based on the overall culture of where we want to be as a business in the culture of the team and their mental wellness, believe it or not. And then, you know, thirdly, it's about those individual business units. Uh, so every, the good news is that every business unit leader, we, we, we speak every week on a Tuesday and, and we have a, a, everybody has a great relationship and everybody shares best practices and what's working, what's not working. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have removed silos as much as possible. Right. So, so there's that, but, but really it's, um, everything is really based off of, you know, really, really looking at the overall, you know, the overall uh, set of uh, metrics we have for the business, and with with free cash kind of being the main criteria at the end of the day that sits on top of everything. Okay, thank you. You mentioned that you're working on a book. Tell me what what inspired that, and uh, more about the book. Thank you uh, for that. Um, so, I. I look, a couple of things happened to me just personally, you know, uh, you know, last year, um, you know, the, you know, Kobe passing away really kind of impacted me. I'm a huge Laker fan and, and, you know, it's hard for people to understand it. And my wife really didn't get it, you know, but, you know, here you had this guy that's in your, for 20 years is in, in your, in your house every other day kind of a thing and brought a lot of joy. It wasn't perfect. He had his challenges, but when he passed away, you know, you know, you know, life is short, man, you know, uh, life is short. And I've had this idea. I had two things I wanted to always wanted to do. One was to write a book. And second was to write a movie screenplay. Mm. And so I had this idea for a leadership book. It's coming out in September. It's called uh, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Uh, I'm a firm, firm, firm believer that uh, the pandemic is going to cause a new age of enlightenment. In, in this country and around the world. I think the goals to a fight climate change are going to be part of that. So I think there's kind of a little bit of a perfect storm from that perspective. I think you're seeing a lot of money being invested and thrown around right now. And I think that those are going to lead, are going to, lead to the next, whether you call it an age of enlightenment or, or the next industrial revolution, I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, by, by the year 2025, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial, and women. And, and that demographic requires a different type of leadership. Mm-hmm. They're much more activist-based employees. You know, they, they, they want to make sure the companies working that they're working for are willing to take a stand, mm-hmm. that, that they're out there, that they're supporting good causes. For example, at 11.05, we have a campaign called Campaign for Smiles, where every campaign we run, like, you know, last year we did around 1,200 campaigns. This year we're going to do around 1,600 campaigns. So we're growing our digital, cam- we're, we're growing our digital space really well. And so... 
you know, for every campaign we do, we're going to donate $10. So, you know, we could be donating anywhere from $15,000 to $20,000 to Operation Smile to help mm-hmm. people that were born with, with, with cleft palates, you know, to, to have the surgeries. And so, we, you know, we, we think that'll help, you know, roughly 20 to, you know, I think it's 500 bucks uh, per, per, per surgery. So, you know, we, we think it'll help, you know, 15 to 20 people or whatever the number is. I can't, can't do the math in my head right now, but, but, you know, so, so, you know, that, that, you know, but that's just, you know, kind of a way to get back. And, you know, we, we were very early on back in June of last year after the George Floyd things happened. And, and I'm not trying to make this, I'm, I'm sure some people will probably hang up right about now and not listen anymore, but I, I wasn't necessarily us. Uh, I, I, the, the, well, it was what impacted by that on what happened. And, and uh, so I didn't know how to, get involved. And because I knew no matter what I did, you know, the demographics would say half my employees wouldn't be very happy with me no matter what stand I took. And I just didn't want to really create that uh, challenge inside the companies, given everything going on with COVID, the impact that we were already facing and having. So what I decided to do was I'm going to find a different way to, to get involved. And so we back in June and now June of last year, we announced that every November 3rd or election day is going to be a holiday at the company. Hmm. And so I, you know, so we've been on this kick. I've been on this kick, encouraging people. I don't care who, what your political beliefs are, just go get involved. Yes. You know, if you want to really affect change, you have to get involved. And so, so we did that. So we gave people, the, even if people voted by mail, we still mm-hmm. encourage them to, you know, go, go be a poll worker, go, go. And we, we had employees, Carrie, we, we had employees that would, that, that, would, that manned phone banks that worked, at, that, that, that worked as poll workers that they got, they got involved, you know, uh, and, you know, if, and if they didn't want to get involved in it, you know, for their own mental wellness, you know, that day it was, it was, you know, it was a day for them to kind of just take a deep breath and take care of their kids or family, whatever the case they wanted to do. But, but you know, we, we, we gave them that option and we've now made it a permanent company holiday that, you know, even for local elections or for even the midterm elections, it's going to be a day off to go vote, to get involved in your local community. And if you've already voted by mail, like I said, then then do other things to help your community. So, so that's, so that, that, that's what we did. Very cool. Yeah, it's Eddie. The, this whole notion of uh, a new age of enlightenment, I think, is really fascinating as a topic that uh, I hope is is true. To to be honest, I think you you know you look at a lot of the the trends in the country over the last several decades, and and they don't seem overly enlightened, right? Civic engagement, participation in uh, charitable activities, the amount of entrepreneurship. We, we, we're at a 50-year low prior to the pandemic in entrepreneurship in this country, and almost all new jobs get created by entrepreneurs. And there's been a forced sort of entrepreneurship by necessity that's happened through the, the pandemic. But we've got to get people re-inspired to solve some of these huge problems of our era. And I think that hopefully the pandemic silver lining is that more people feel like I have to go do something to your point. We only get one life. So how do you go make the biggest possible impact you can make? And uh, that, that I think is uh, something that our culture here, I mean, America has been the greatest example of that foundation to do that upon that the world's ever seen, but there's definitely some reinvention still needed here 
for that next age, whatever that age is going to look like. So it's a, it's a really interesting topic to explore. I, I like that you're writing about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it was kind of, it's been fun writing it. It's going to come out in September. And, you know, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, reopened my eyes to a lot of different things. And, you know, here's at the end of the day, you're right. Uh, entrepreneurship is a, is a, is at a low, but I really think that, you know, the, the folks that are out there who are funding, you know, whether it's Silicon Valley or Angel or whatever the case might be, or organizations are supporting entrepreneurs like Octane, like we mentioned, people of that nature. I know, you know, uh, I know that the universities are doing more and more right now, whether it's USC or UCI, whatever the case might be. I know more and more of these folks are, are doing more of those uh, more things in that area. Look, at the end of the day, it's more than just going to be the pandemic, right? So I think I think what you're going to see here is, I I was reading today and that you know research around you know uh, the vaccine has led to breakthroughs for people with MS, mm-hmm. right? how the flu has virtually disappeared, right? Because people were mad or whatever the case might be. But I, I think that, you know, I, I, I you, know, you haven't seen it yet. And I, I think that there's so much research and money being put in these companies around health and wellness. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a much different lifestyle for people over the next five or 10 years, from, you know, and the results of that. But it won't be just that, right? I think you're going to see uh, a lot uh, more, coming out with infrastructure and infrastructure related activities, whether it's autonomous vehicles, whatever the case might be there, right? I think it's just a matter of time. I think IoT and AI are gonna be world areas where they're gonna just continue to improve. Okay. I, to me, I think, to me, I think the, you know, look, whether you believe it or not, climate change is a huge opportunity for to really do things differently, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's going to be a lot of money invested there to really figure out, you know, you know how to really do things differently in, in the world of climate change. Look, I, you know, yesterday I saw, you know, NASA did the Mars helicopter, right? And and every time you know, NASA does something like that, there's technologies that get developed that come out over time, you know, come out to the consumer world. So I think you're going to see that too. So I, I just think we're kind of at this. Um, I mean, maybe we're not there yet, but we're we're at this. Uh, um, point where over the course, I think over the next three to five years, you're going to start to see the benefit of all these different things all start to come together. And that's why, and, and I think that that new up and coming uh, demographic, the Gen Z and millennials are going to be the, are going to be the future. Mm-hmm. And so how you lead them, how they learn, how they invest, how they do things is going to require a different type of leadership from people like you and I. Right, because they're yes. going to want to learn from us, so or, we're going to have or to we have to bring we have to bring them into leadership positions right. sooner. Well, yeah, if we can't yeah. lead them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be. I think, and I'm I'm really excited. I've got two sons. I got a son at USC, and I got a son that's going to be going to the University of Miami. And so, I'm really excited to see see to see where the future takes them and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I think we. We have an exciting time ahead, and you know I, I talk a lot about we we need more entrepreneurs, we need more startups to really co- codify and catalyze some of these ideas and turn them into sustainable opportunities, um, and and that's where we'll create a more equitable, sustainable economy and and society as well. 
Yeah, we, yep. we, we, you got to study history in some cases to, to see the patterns of the present and the potential future, unless we want to go invent it in a, in a different way, which is why I tend to spend most of my time with the, the early stage disruptive entrepreneurs, because I want to help them go make that dent on the world. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're running up against time here, but you know, a couple final things. Number one, if you, you know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs in my audience. So if you think about the kinds of skills that you feel like an entrepreneur, I mean, I, you know, this, this idea of uh, enlightened leadership is a really interesting one for them to, to think about because they're going to have to attract the right kinds of people to their company. But are there other kinds of skills or attributes that you think are really important for today's entrepreneur to be successful? Yeah, great question. I, I don't know if, if the skill set is different for an entrepreneur today versus an entrepreneur, let's say 10 years ago, right? I, I think at the end of the day, you have the right, you have to have the right mental, the, the right, you know, mental strength you know, to deal with being an entrepreneur, right? So that means you got to deal with rejection. Mm-hmm. And I think that those, that, that those kinds of things are just, you know, foundational, you know, but at the end of the day, one, one of the things that I tell people that I've talked to, and I'm advising an NFT startup right now, mm-hmm. And I, I, I literally had this conversation with, with, with the guy uh, a couple of days ago and I told him, I said, his name is Alex. And I said, Alex, look, you're, you're, you're talking about this thing. You know, you're starting to get feature creep. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have that. So, you know, good, fast and cheap. Pick two, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. Just pick mm-hmm. two and go with it and, and you're going to be fine and you've got a great idea and you're going to be fine. So, so just, you know, I think they have to, I think entrepreneurs now, because there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there and I think they're really excited about where, where the future might take them. They just, I think you have to just be really focused on what you want your MVP to be. And you want to be really focused on what, what, what your initial market's going to look like and where, where you want to go and, and how you're going to want to do it. Cause there's gonna be plenty of time to improvise and adjust it, you know, when, when, when the time comes, mm-hmm. but just really focus right now for those that are just getting started, we're really focused on, two of those three, you know, mm-hmm. good, fast, or cheap. So I think that, you know, that, that that's one area. And the second one is man, just surround yourself with the best people you can. Mm-hmm. It's so important, you know, to get yourself the best mentors, get yourself, you know, you know, make sure you've got yourself just surround yourself with the best, right? Make, you know, it, it, it sounds, it may sound odd, but make sure you've got a really good lawyer, make sure you got a really good, you know, make sure you got really good, you know, finance people, make sure you got really good investors, you know, not just investors who say, here's, here's 20 grand as, a, as an angel, get going. No, you want investors who are going to help you open the doors to other places and help you lead, lead you up to, you know, to, to, up to the promised land, but really surround yourself with the best people and don't be the smartest person in the room. You know, you got to make sure you have really good people. Look, I, I, I had a startup, you know, I'm talking about it right now, but I had a startup that we, that literally launched the the, the day before the economy collapsed back in 2007 and you know and I, I and I had a guy who was doing marketing for me and look I, I probably held on to him and you know whatever the case might be but you, but you learn and so you know um, just surround yourself with the best people that you, that you can find and, 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 and you know and, and just you know make, just make sure you enjoy doing what you're doing otherwise it won't be successful. Rajiv, so such a good way to to end the episode. Great, great advice there. Thank you so much for My sharing that and for joining, and you know, some great story and just what an amazing story of resilience and enlightenment and and adaptability 
to a crazy year that none of us was prepared for, but we've all had to uh, deal with in our own way. Super excited for what's ahead for you and, and the company. And uh, let's definitely stay in touch. Best wishes Absolutely. for uh, everybody staying on plan for the rest of the year. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for, for doing this. And uh, you, you keep on, I mean, you're doing a great job of really working with startups and influencing people. And I know you got that class you teach at USC, which is awesome. So keep, <laughs> keep, keep uh, spreading your wisdom to everybody. And uh, I look forward to seeing your contributions as well, continue to affect people. So that's awesome. So good luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.